Good morning, everybody. This is what it's all about, amen? Turn, if you would, to the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John in chapter 1, and we will be continuing our study through the first 18 verses of this Gospel. But what a glorious way to enter into it, just worshiping the Lord full-throated with all you got, with all your gusto, praising King Jesus. Let's come before the Lord and ask God to bless this time as we get into his word. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and we thank you for this time in the scriptures and Lord, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us. We thank you for the gospel of John, that it's good news to us at Christmas. It's good news to people who are broken and often discouraged and needing the light of the world to break in. And we pray, Father, that your spirit would open our hearts to receive this gospel as good news for us. Lord, not only for the world, but for us in here. And I pray, Lord, that you would visit us in a special way, a supernatural way, and do what only you can do in the soul. And turn the light on to the glory of Jesus as our Savior, as our King, as the God who made all things, as the Christ who came into history to redeem people, going from the cradle to the cross, and then rising up out of the grave as we just sung. And no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck us from your hand once we're yours. And we thank you for that. And we pray that you would minister to our hearts now as we get into your word, that we would be encouraged, that the spirit would move, and that we would get help. In Jesus' name, amen. How can I become a child of God? How can I experience eternal life? How can I be saved? These are the questions that John is concerned about in his gospel. John wants his hearers and readers to experience what it means to be saved, to experience eternal life breaking in and transforming. He wants us to experience the light to come in and shine in our hearts so that we might come to know God personally, deeply, and in a saving way. And that's his purpose from the very start. That's his purpose statement in the first 18 verses of this gospel. And it is the very purpose that he says at the end of his gospel in John chapter 20. In verse 30 and 31, I'll read it one more time as we have in the past weeks. But let's read it again so we get it before our minds. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. You want to know what John's about? Right there. That you may believe 
that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing, you might have life in his name. And in the Gospel of John, eternal life is coming to know the true and living God in a relationship with him, coming into uh, an awareness that God is your God and that you're no longer alienated by your sins and by the darkness in your soul. You've been put right by the Savior before God. You've been made right by the Son who came, born in a manger, and grew in favor and stature, and lived a perfect life, and went to Jerusalem and hung upon a cross, crucified, murdered, and hung on a tree for the sins of the world. And that he was buried three, for three days and he rose up out of the grave. He triumphed over death itself, appeared to his disciples and rose up to heaven. And the church has been preaching this message ever since. This gospel is a witness of those saving realities that Jesus accomplished when he came. And Christmas is a time of great celebration, right? It's a time of joy. It's a time of celebration. It's a time of excitement. But if we're honest, it can also be a time of great confusion. It can be a time where we can be busy about the department stores and busy about the wrapping of gifts and the busy about the putting up of lights and sometimes we miss the light of the world in the process. Sometimes we miss the greatest gift of all, right? We're so busy wrapping gifts that we fail to unwrap the gift of God that is offered to us in Christ. And so John's aware of this reality, and he's written his gospel so that believers can lay hold of this and be encouraged afresh. And for those who do not know Christ, he's written this gospel so that you may believe and enter into the promises of God. And for some of us, we enter into Christmas season and we come and we're just freshly aware of the brokenness of the world in which we live and the struggles that we go through. And maybe this holiday season, this Christmas season is a time of sadness for some of us. Maybe it's a time of remembering those that we've lost. Maybe it's a time to remember that there's some who are going to gather there's some who are going to be missing around the Christmas tree this year. Maybe it's a time of lament because you've gotten a diagnosis this past year, and so you're entering into Christmas, and all you're thinking about is the struggle going on in your body. Maybe Christmas is a season where you become very aware of the raw and rough realities of sin and brokenness and division in your family. And so the idea of just getting together unnerves you. 
we enter into this gospel in all of that. We enter into this season knowing all of that. And John wants us to point us simply and clearly once again to the one who came to rescue and redeem and make new broken people, broken families, and those who have been estranged from God. And everybody in here, whether you're a Christian or not, at one point was alienated from God. And it's only because Jesus entered the world, entered into time and space. The one who came from all eternity entered into time and space to be the light of the world and to die on a cross so that we might experience life in him. So let's look once again into the first 13 verses. I'm going to read them as a whole, and then we're going to focus primarily today on verses 12 and 13. But think about Christmas when you think about these verses. This is John's vision of Christmas. Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in, it, in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And then we'll read verse 14 just to bring Christmas in. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You'll notice that that whole passage was moving from the God who created all things, who is the word who was in the beginning, who was with God and who was God, through whom all things were made, who's the life and the light of the world, and then it moves us to the reality that we're either going to receive or reject this word, this revelation from God, who is the son, who's the one who became flesh to redeem a people to himself. We're either going to receive Jesus or reject him. And that is the question of Christmas. Will you receive the light of the world or will you reject him and go on living as if he never came? Verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. 
but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he, he gave the right to become children of God. How do we become a child of God? John lays it out for us right there. We'll either receive the Lord or reject him. This weekend I was driving through the city a little bit and actually up to go get something to eat um, this past Saturday. And I noticed all over people's lawns were these signs everywhere. And they said, no Dollar General, right? Some of them had like a, 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 you know, the Dollar General spelled out in a big circle with a slash through it, right? And then I looked at some of the lawns and there was like five of them in one lawn. So I don't know if that was just like emphatic. No Dollar General, not welcome here, right? And some of you might be experiencing right now a little visceral reaction, right? Yes, I agree with that. Not welcome Dollar General. And I got to thinking about that, you know, when it comes to our passage, because Jesus came into the world. Verse nine says the true light. Right. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus was coming into the world. And verse 10 reminds us that the world did not know him, did not recognize him. And verse 11 reminds us. That he came to his own and his own people rejected him. So they put out, maybe not on their lawns, but maybe in their hearts, there was a sign that said, Jesus, not welcome. And that is where so many in our world live. The masses of humanity by and large, have a sign on the lawn, have a sign on the lawn of their heart that says about Jesus, not welcome. And Jesus even came to his hometown and they did not receive him. Imagine over all of the lawns, maybe five in one lawn here or there, not welcome. And the question today before us, in light of your sin, in light of your rebellion against God, in light of your natural, this, that's the natural default setting of our hearts, to say not welcome Jesus in your heart. And what John is after is that you would come to your senses and that your eyes would be open and that instead of putting that kind of a sign in your heart, you would throw out the welcome mat and roll it out and say, Lord Jesus, come in. Come into my life. And is that not what verse 12 says? But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of the blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So we have laid out right there the blueprint before us of how to be saved.
how to become a child of God when you're not. Because John is reminding us, not all of us believed, right? But to all who did receive him. But not everybody did. Most didn't. So how do you become a part of the all who did believe? Well, that's what John's after. And that's what I'm after. And that's what the Holy Spirit is after. And that's what he is doing as he speaks through the word of God and bears witness in your soul where you are at. Do you have the not welcome sign out? Or do you just open up your heart and soul and say, Lord Jesus, all that you are, come in. I'm yours. I trust you. I receive you. And by it, you become a child of God. So three brief points. We can either reject Jesus, we can receive him for all he is, and we can experience new birth as we come into the family of God. We're going to look at it in that order. So number one, we can reject Jesus at Christmas, right? We've seen it in our text. We can, most people in the world are rejecting Jesus at Christmas. Most people in the world can drive by a hundred manger scenes and miss the reality of Christmas. They can throw up the lights on the house. They can have manger scenes in their yard. They could have the sled and all that but be devoid of Jesus. And you've got to remember that verses 9 to 11 remind us that the people who were waiting for Jesus and longing for the Messiah, the Jewish nation longing for somebody to come deliver them, somebody to come help them, somebody to come deal with this political unrest and this, this, this oppression that they were experiencing. Well, you see it right there in verses 9 to 11. Look at it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The people who were waiting for Jesus, they didn't know it was Jesus, but they were waiting for Messiah, longing for 400 years, hadn't heard a word from a prophet. And then supernatural things started to happen. A young virgin, a young virgin was given a vision of an angel who told her she was going to bear a son and that they were going to call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. And of course, Mary's betrothed, Joseph, would get another vision. Because it's a little bit odd when the woman that you have proposed to has a belly that's growing and you have not been together. And he received a vision. Don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which is born, that which is in her womb is of the Holy Spirit. And as the prophet Isaiah said, you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
What's happening at Christmas is the arrival of the king of the universe into Bethlehem and then into Judah and then into Jerusalem. The king was born and the king came and the people missed it. So it's possible, it's very possible to miss Jesus at Christmas. It's very possible to reject Jesus at Christmas. His own people rejected him. His own town. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? They rejected him. And at a time, even his own family, his brothers, did not believe. So yes, we can miss Jesus at Christmas. We can be without Christ at Christmas. We can be, the light comes and we scatter from the light and we do not want it to shine on our lives. And John will later tell us the reason why. Why do we reject Jesus? Why do we run from Jesus? Chapter three and verse 19 and following reminds us, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light. Why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest their deeds be exposed. I can't tell you how many countless times I've come to the place where I was sharing the gospel with someone. And they were fine with me talking about Jesus. They were fine with me talking about the, the, the story of Christmas. But as soon as we got to the part where we were talking about sin and the need for repentance and the need to be saved from your sins and the need to expose the darkness in your own heart before the light of God and get help from God and submit your life to him, that's when the conversation got all kinds of interesting. I can remember even being on a plane once and I was talking to a lawyer and he admitted the truth of Christianity. He said, I believe it's true. I believe all these things happened. I believe Jesus is who he said he was. I believe he was born. I believe he died on a cross. I believe he rose from the dead. But I don't want to stop sleeping with my girlfriend. And you can go all the way. But never repent and run from the light when it comes. You can reject Jesus in subtle ways by just living a life of rebellion. It could be a quiet rebellion, or at least you think so. Stirring into this and that and the other. Exchanging one form of darkness for the other. One form of addiction for the other. Addiction for, for the other. You see it all the time. An alcoholic kicks the alcohol and goes to food. Or nicotine. Or whatever it might be. You cannot exchange darkness for darkness and expect salvation. We need the light of the world, the true light of God, to come and rescue us. And John is going to remind us 
that we need to deal with who Jesus is. And we can either reject him or receive him. And clearly the path of rejection is a path of darkness and slavery and discouragement. It's a failure to see that the light has come and to let him in. It's to put the not welcome mat out. But we don't have to do that. Point number two. We can receive Jesus at Christmas, right? We can receive the Lord for all that he is. Look at verse 12. That's what verse 12 is all about. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. But to all who did receive him. Are you numbered among the all who did receive him? John is talking about a group of people out of the world. He's talking about the light in terms of its dividing up humanity. Those who reject Jesus and those who receive Jesus. Those who see him as the light and those who scurry into the dark. Those who have the life of God and those who are dead in their sins. And if we're not a part of the all, John will invite us to become a part of the all. If we don't know what it truly means to receive all that Jesus is for us and all he came to be, sometimes we keep Jesus in the manger Because we don't want to deal with the Jesus of the cross. Because the Jesus of the cross reminds us we're wrecked sinners on our way to hell without hope in this world, totally in darkness. And to receive him means to submit your life to God and say, Lord, I need you. Please forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I believe all that you are. I believe that you're the eternal word of God who created all things. I believe that you're the son of God who came into the world. I believe you're fully God, fully man. And I believe you went to a cross. You you were buried. And three days later, you rose up out of the grave to give me life. To receive Jesus is to believe in Jesus. And to believe in Jesus is to receive Jesus. And you'll notice verse 12 reminds us That we're to believe in his name. And in Hebrew thought, that was all that a person was. All who Jesus is. The full Jesus. The real Jesus. You don't want the truncated Jesus of the newspaper columns that are minimizing his deity. Saying, well, he was just a man. He was a nice man. He was a good man, but he wasn't the son of God. Well, you can't be saved by that kind of. And you can't deny that he was the son of man. You can't deny his humanity. Because he he didn't become fully human. He couldn't die on a cross for you. He couldn't bear the wrath of God in your place. He couldn't rescue you from your sins. If you only have a human Jesus, you don't have a gospel. You need the God man. We're going to talk next week all about that. But you got to have the real Jesus and you got to have the full Jesus of Scripture. You got to believe in the name of Jesus. 
That's what it means to believe in the name, to believe in all that he is. And even if you feel like, I, I don't know the fullness of it, there's a mystery there. He's God and man in one person. Come to planet Earth. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. And he ever lives to make intercession for his people, his bride. All those who have received and believed on him. He gave the right to become children of God. Jesus gives the right to people to become children of God based on whether they believe and receive him and have been born of God. Verse 13 will say. What does it mean to receive Jesus but to take him as yours, to take him, to grasp him, to come to him, to hold on to him, to receive him like a present. You've got to receive something from a person. When we sit around on Christmas Day and we open up presents, they don't just come under the tree by osmosis, right? They're put there by people. And you cannot receive a gift if you don't receive it from a person. And if you don't receive Jesus as a person, if he's just an idea to you, if he's just a theological concept, if he's just some informational facts, well, then you haven't received the person of Jesus Christ. But to all, look at verse 12 real carefully. But to all who did receive him. Do you see the him? There's got to be a him that we receive. And we've got to believe in his name. There's a him, a his, and a he that gave the right to become children of God. We come to a person at Christmas for salvation. And you can't be saved apart from coming to Jesus as a person. Acts 4.12 reminds us this very thing. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name among or under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Well, you say, can't I just believe in the facts? I mean, what is this business? I'm not really a personal guy or girl. Can I believe in the facts? I mean, yeah, I believe the record. I believe those sorts of things. And no, you've got to come to a person. And I'll tell you why. And it's not just intellectually believing. Because even the demons believe. Consider the demons for a moment. Do they believe that Jesus is Lord? Do they believe Jesus is the Son of God? Do they believe that Jesus is God in the flesh? Absolutely they do. They affirm it all over the Gospels. Just take the Gospel of Mark and read it from front to back and you will see the demons testify about who Jesus is. It is not enough to say intellectually, I believe these things because even the demons believe and tremble. That's what James says in James 2.19. To put a verse on it, a biblical 
verse in truth that this is not my opinion. This is this is God's word, right? You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And then he'll go on to say. Faith without works is dead. Saving faith goes beyond mere assent to facts about Jesus and believes in the person of Jesus and that transforms your life. That's why the attorney on the plane would not come to Jesus because he would not come to the person of Christ for his lust in this world he longed for the pleasures that this world offered, the illicit pleasures, and so he wouldn't come to a person because he only had intellectual reasoning about the identity of Jesus. He had never received him as Lord. And I turned to him in the plane and I said, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? What does it matter how many of these experiences you have if you lose your soul in the end because you've never had Jesus? And he knew it was true. You see, this believing and this receiving is something that lays hold of Christ. In a very real and personal way. It's what takes you over that hump. When you are coming to that place of recognizing your sin. You're being awakened to your addictions. You're being awakened to the things you love in this world. The darkness that you love. And you start to see yourself as a guilty sinner before God. And then you'd see. If I don't come to Jesus, there is no rescue. When Jesus is sweet to you and is the only true light to you and you take your darkness to him, it's a whole different ballgame than when you're on the run. Hiding in the shadows. But when the light comes, he says, look to me, trust me, receive me and all who receive and believe. I will grant to become children of God. Have you done that? Have you done that this Christmas season? Have you looked to the Son of God with true faith and believed? Those of us who have believed and received know the sweet beauty and forgiveness of redemption in Christ. We know what it means to be born anew. We know what it means to have supernatural work inside of us going on because God has laid hold of us. It's what moves you from mere religion to a relationship with God. Jesus is after new hearts and new life inside of you. And He's offering to take your sin to forgive you. And to fill you with the Spirit of God. That brings us to point number three. You must be born again. There's some who reject. There's some who receive. But you must be born again. In order to be a child of God. 
Look at it. The, the ones who believe and receive in verse 12, verse 13 says, are those who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. John is introducing us in these first 13 verses to the concept of new birth. In our day, it was made popular by Billy Graham. And he said in every one of his messages, you must be born again. You know where he got that? From Jesus. Because Jesus said to Nicodemus, who was a Jew's Jew, he was a teacher of Israel. And he comes to Jesus by night. And he says to Jesus, nobody can do the things that you do unless God is with him. And he wants to inquire more about who this Jesus is. And Jesus looks at him. And in John 3.3, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. You can't even see it. And Nicodemus is perplexed because he's the teacher of Israel. He's the most wise rabbi of Israel. Everybody comes to, to Nicodemus's doorstep when they've got Bible questions. And Jesus is saying, you're blind and you don't know who I am because you need to be resurrected to spiritual life. You need to come alive to the things of God. You need to see who it is you're talking to because it's not just a magician or some miracle worker. I'm the Son of God. And until you're born again, you won't see it. You have to have new life in you. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. And this is just what 1 Peter 1.23 says. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Peter is telling Christians, you've been born again by the living and abiding word of God. You want to know how to get saved? You listen to the word of God and it makes you alive and you begin to believe it. As the Word of God is preached, there's something that happens to you and you're gripped in your soul and you start to realize this is actually true. And God's Spirit begins to testify to you. You are separated from me. And I'm drawing you to see something in Jesus. He's a Savior. He's Lord. He's sinless. He went to a cross. He can rescue you. And my dear friends, if you have loved ones in the grave, you need to know that this Savior conquers death itself. So He's good news to us who have been born of God. And John is giving us a blueprint in these first 18 verses or so about how to get born of God. Right at the center of it all, he says, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, and not of the will of man, but of God. He gives us the word of God up front in those first five verses. And then he tells us to believe it. 
And in verse 13, he says, unless something supernatural happens inside of you, you won't. And Peter says, you want to know how you're born again? By the living and abiding word of God. John is doing to us right now in these first 18 verses exactly what needs to happen for people to be made alive in Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. And in Him is life, and the life was the light of men. Do you see? Verse 9, the true light was coming into the world. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that Whoever believes on Him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. These are the words of life that John wants us to lay hold of. And as we do, we're born again. It's hard to separate new birth from saving faith. Because they happen simultaneously. What did Paul do when he went down to the prayer meeting? outside of Philippi and he saw a woman there named Lydia and the Bible says that the Lord opened her heart to receive the things the Spirit was saying through the Apostle Paul. God opened her eyes and she believed and she was saved in her whole household. It's a mysterious work of God. And Nicodemus, as he encountered Jesus, he was stabbed awake that day to something totally new, totally foreign. You have to be made alive in order to see it. And you can't even enter the kingdom until it happens. Well, we see at the end of the gospel that Nicodemus himself must have been born of God that day when he heard the words of Jesus say, whoever believes on the Son has life. And whoever does not see the Son or, or believe on the Son does not have life. But the wrath of God abides on him. Jesus preached a sermon and Nicodemus began to see. That's why we preach the Word of God every Sunday. And in almost every gathering that we have, the Word of God is proclaimed because that's how people get eyes to see who Jesus is. A few quick observations in closing about the new birth. Verse 13 reminds us that you cannot be born again by being born into a natural family, right? You see it right there in verse 13. Who were born not of blood. And the, the Greek literally says the mixing of bloods, of bloods. Because the idea is when two bloods come together and produce a child, you cannot get saved that way. You don't get saved by being in a Jewish family which the Jews were thinking at that time. Well, we're, 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 we're the sons of Abraham. 
they would tell Jesus. And Jesus gives them a whole earful telling them, listen, you're no son of Abraham because you don't do the works that Abraham did. You don't believe. You're trying to kill the son of God. And they take up stones to try to kill Jesus. But you can't. The new birth is not natural. It's supernatural. You need a supernatural work to happen in your life. The, the new birth is not because a husband and a wife decided to have a family and then they decided, you know what? We're Christian, therefore our children are Christian. And there are a lot of people probably believing today that just because I have Christian parents means I'm okay. John would say it's not of the blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man. Maybe you were taught that all you have to do to be saved is just choose it. As if you can overcome blindness on your own. But Jesus said you can't even see the kingdom unless you've been born again. So we're left totally at the mercy of God's grace. This text should bow your hearts, Christians, before the living God that He saved you. And you should marvel that you have been saved at all. Because God is so gracious that He would make people alive. And no human mechanism could do it. Nothing inside of you can produce it. In fact, the Bible says our hearts are hearts of stone. They're dead hearts shot through with sin. And until Jesus gets a hold of us and makes us alive, we'll remain in darkness. Is that not what we read in John chapter 3? And the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. Well, you need a heart transplant. And here's the good news. John has written this gospel to give you a heart transplant. He's written these words to open your eyes. He's written these words to be like arrows of truth going into your heart. He's written these words to give you hope that the light has come and the light can break into your life if you will believe and receive all that Jesus is for you. So I go back to the illustration from the beginning of this message. What's going on in your heart right now? Do you have a sign in your heart that says not welcome to Jesus? Do you have a, a sign in your heart that says you're welcome one day out of the week? The other six are mine. Do you have a sign in your heart that says we got to do some prenuptials here because you're welcome, but kind of in, you know, a negotiated way. I want to keep living in sin. Or do you have a welcome sign that you've just rolled out and said, Lord, come in. Lord, I believe all that you are. And I believe all you've done for me. And I want to lay hold of everything that John's telling me. So that I might experience new life and be brought into the family of God. You've got to be brought out of Adam's family and into the family of God. And Jesus says it happens when you receive him as a gift.
and receiving is believing in who he is and what he's done. Have you done that? And if you have glory in the beautiful, supernatural, blessed work of salvation that came from heaven to earth to break into your life, to bring you back into a relationship with the living God. And if you've not tasted it, come and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And trust and believe and receive all that He is. Because He's come to rescue you if you will but take hold of Him by faith. Let's pray. Father God, there are so many ways that Christmas brings blessings into our lives. But none of them come apart from Jesus Christ. Lord, none of the light comes into our life apart from Jesus. None of the life comes into our life apart from Jesus. None of the freedom from sin and the forgiveness of sin comes apart from Jesus. There is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. But Lord, you have reminded us today, O oh God, that there is a way to become a child of God. And the way is through Christ. And so I pray, Father, wherever we're at today, whether we've been freshly awakened, whether we've been freshly convicted of our sin, and we, maybe we've got a not welcome sign up. It's been up for a while. Lord, I pray that you would overcome that resistance and that you would break in to hearts that have once been hostile, just as you did my heart. But I was once hostile. Do it again, Lord. Do it again as you've done all over the world, all throughout history. When people hear the message that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners and they hear it and believe it and receive it, they can be saved. Maybe you're in here today and you're just longing for more of Christ to break into your life. You're a believer, but you've just gotten cold to these things. And may you be warmed by the fires of John's gospel afresh. Maybe the Lord is calling you to wholehearted commitment today. Father, would you work that in our hearts? May we prepare room so that you might write the story in our heart as we sung earlier. The story of the gospel. The story of the king who came to save an unworthy people who were blind and in darkness. And he came as the light of the world. Oh, may we taste and see it afresh. In Jesus' name, amen.